Welcome to the Yet Mothers podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the first official episode. I am so happy you're here and hope you'll decide to stay a while. For the first episode, I want to give you some more background on myself and share my fertility story with you. In the last year or so, I realized there are so many on this journey in secret and hiding their infertility struggles in shame. I hope that by hearing my story, you would feel encouraged to share yours and realize there are so many of us going through the same thing. You never know. Your vulnerability and transparency could be the spark someone else needs to start sharing or ask questions they've been too afraid to say out loud. With that being said, let's get right into it. As I've said, I'm known as B, and I'm married to my best friend DJ. We've been together for approximately eight-ish years, and we'll be married for six this year. And we have two rescue pups, who you will likely hear in the background. I mentioned in the trailer that DJ and I have spent a considerable amount of time apart, being sent to different areas of the world for weeks to months at a time. One time, I made the egregious mistake of calculating just how much time we had spent apart, and we've spent over half the time of us knowing each other in a long-distance capacity. Definitely never fun, but it does serve as a reminder to be grateful for what time we do have together. Now, if you don't know us, you may be asking, what in the world has them traveling or apart so frequently? And that's an understandable question. We are a dual military couple, meaning we are both in the military. Now, I have no intentions of going into any further details on our service or any of that. However, us serving does play both an unfortunate and fortunate part in our fertility journey. Before marriage, I knew of all the things DJ wanted. Becoming a dad was on the top of his list. And I just got to say, kids are drawn to him, so I really need to make this guy a dad someday soon. I remember asking him several times, especially after our engagement, if he was sure he wanted to marry me, knowing there could be some infertility factors on my side. You see, I had an irregular, basically non-existent, cycle growing up. I was a so-called late bloomer to begin with, getting my first period around 14 or 15 years old. It then disappeared for months at a time. I distinctly remember going to the OBGYN with my mom and the doctor doing zero tests, placing blame on my highly active lifestyle because I was an athlete and claimed it was normal. And sure, girls can experience some inconsistencies in their cycle because of hormonal changes and fluctuations, but can we all collectively agree that this is not always the case and should be investigated? I mean, I even remember the doctor saying, if my cycle irregularities continued, I could have issues with conception later in life. If that isn't a fully flying red flag. And as most doctors of that time, shocker. He prescribed me a birth control pill to give me a monthly period. I say period in huge air quotes, but that's a topic for another day. Now, at 15, 16 years old, I was very unconcerned with his reference towards fertility because, well, I was not planning on having kids at that age. In fact, when I was younger, I even remember proclaiming to my mom that I would be having zero children. Now I look back and cringe at the thought of little me speaking that over myself as I trudged through this fertility journey. DJ knew all of this and said we would figure it out together. 
So we were married, and within the first year of our marriage, we deployed, just as we had been doing before marriage. At this point, we were okay with that. We had just rescued Bandit from the pound and then later brought home our little tripod blue. Between our second and third year of marriage, we decided to start trying to conceive. I stopped taking birth control and we tried. I remember I had come home from deployment, was home for a little over a month, then had to head out of state for almost two months. During the few weeks I was home, we went on vacation and I knew during this trip I would be able to take a pregnancy test. I remember I snuck one into my baggage so I could take it during our trip. One day I waited until DJ went to the gym to take this test and hopefully surprise him. Well, it should come to no surprise, it was negative. I was devastated. We thought it would be easy. I mean, every high school health class makes it sound as simple as one plus one equals two. We just figured no birth control, no problems. You do the deed, you get pregnant. I didn't track ovulation or know what cervical mucus was. I didn't even know there were different phases in a menstrual cycle. Like, come on. Sometime after, due to work requirements, I went back on birth control so that I would not risk getting pregnant, which now is just so silly. Fast forward to me approaching my 30th birthday. I had been on and off birth control for roughly 15 years at this point and decided I wanted to stop. Surprisingly, my period showed up regularly, every month, around the same time, like consistent. DJ and I were basically in a, if it happens, it happens mindset. We weren't actively trying, but we weren't trying to avoid either. In December of 2020, my period was late, so I took a pregnancy test telling myself I was being absurd as I proceeded to rip the test out of its wrapping. I mean, everyone loves a good Christmas miracle, right? I remember I put the test on my bathroom counter while I was getting ready for work, walked into our closet, walked right back out, glanced at the test expecting to see nothing. Two dark, bold lines. I was shocked. I didn't know what to do. I remember just standing there, mouth open, utterly frozen. I eventually grabbed the test, peek outside the bathroom to our room where DJ was sleeping and had that back and forth internal dialogue of, do I tell him? Do I not tell him? I had always thought I would do some videotape surprise reveal for DJ, but in my shock and excitement, I startled DJ awake and told him on the spot, mid happy tears. I got to work, spoke to my provider and had blood work put in. It confirmed that home pregnancy test was a whole liar. I was not pregnant. And then to top it all off, my period went MIA for the next few months. I guess you could say the silver lining of this experience was us realizing just how disappointed we were that I wasn't pregnant and that maybe we should be more deliberate about trying to conceive. And so I began my little quest to find answers. Now, normally at this point, you could go see your primary doctor, an OBGYN, seek out fertility and endocrinology specialists, a naturopath, whoever, but the military is different. You must be actively trying to conceive for a year before you can be referred to the Reproductive Endocrinology and Fertility Clinic, or REI for short. Assuming the base you are at even has such a clinic or they can send or direct you to such a clinic. 
There are some mitigating circumstances that would expedite the referral, but those just didn't apply to us. To make matters even more convoluted, no one had a clear outline for how to indicate your year started. So we used me going to the doctor about my missing period and false positive test as our official notification. Over the next few months, I had a plethora of blood work done and pelvic ultrasounds to figure out why my period had just randomly disappeared. During the ultrasounds, they did locate a small cyst on my right ovary that was the suspected reason for my missed periods. To make it even more murky, one provider identified it as a cyst, while another labeled it as a dominant follicle likely to be releasing an egg soon. I guess the second provider missed the part where I was not ovulating and had not had a period in months. At this point, our case was categorized under unexplained infertility and anovulation. I was given progesterone to bring on my cycle and letrozole to support ovulation. I was told we would do this for three months and reevaluate if needed. Well, three months came and went, not pregnant. My cycles do return for a short while, basically because of the medications. I make a follow-up appointment with the OBGYN, end up seeing a completely different doctor who suggests redoing some hormonal tests and trying letrozole again for a few months, this time with a 21-day blood draw to actually confirm ovulation. We did find out with the letrozole I was seemingly ovulating and responded well to it. But at the end of the day, the intent was to get pregnant, and that was not happening. So as soon as those medications run out, my cycles disappear again. Now I am doing the workup required to get a referral to REI. That included more blood work, ultrasounds, and an HSG, which if you've done that, you know how miserable those are. They are so uncomfortable and painful I was so thankful that the doctor who performed it was so kind, talked me through every single step, and validated my discomfort and pain during the procedure. How or why the medical system has us do procedures like this without any pain-relieving options is astounding. But it is done. Hopefully, I will never have to do another one again. During it, they did not find anything. My tubes were seemingly clear. There was no notable issues, just a single reference toward a potential slightly heart-shaped uterus in my patient files, but identified as nothing of concern, which no one even followed up with me on that part. I found this information in my patient files like two months ago, when the HSG was probably well over a year ago at this point, but I digress. Around the same time frame, DJ gets a semen analysis done and his results are less than optimal across the board. He didn't have the greatest motility or morphology. Thankfully, he didn't have an extremely low count though. And unfortunately, the options for him to seek out additional medical exploration through urology or anything like that is just not available to us at this time. During all of this, my mother-in-law suggests a change in my diet, specifically keto. She sends me some articles, studies, and videos of OBGYNs discussing a lower-carb diet for their patients experiencing irregular cycles or infertility like myself. At this point, I just wanted regular cycles, so I figured, if nothing else, I'll lose some weight, maybe be a bit healthier. There was absolutely zero I could lose from this, and as an added bonus, maybe I'll get my period. 
So I gave it a shot and well, I did lose weight. I did feel healthier and I did have some increased energy levels. Within the same month, I started incorporating natural supplementation. Then my period showed up and I started recognizing markers of actual ovulation. Now, I never got to do a blood draw to confirm natural ovulation, but things like cervical mucus did occur, which I was able to key in on. My period showed up every month since and settled into a 30-31 day cycle, and we are going on a whole year of that now. Meanwhile, we are finally referred to REI. I have my first appointment where they diagnose me with PCOS and recommend IUI and tell me that is my only real option that they can offer me. And this was about a month before I was set to deploy yet again. I am sure I'll have another episode about IUI specifically and my experiences with it. For those that don't know, IUI is intrauterine insemination. They basically place the sperm directly into the uterus during ovulation to give the swimmers a bit of a head start. DJ and I spoke and agreed to continue trying naturally and maybe explore IUI later down the line. We gave ourselves a roughly six-month window after I got home from deployment before we would engage with any additional next steps. Then I deployed, and the traumatic event I mentioned in the trailer occurs in June of 2023. Two months into a four-month deployment, I'm leaving work and have several messages from my mother-in-law. DJ's been hospitalized after attending a wedding in Colorado with his mom and sister. My then 30-year-old healthy weightlifting and frequent runner husband who doesn't drink alcohol, doesn't smoke, doesn't even really drink coffee, had a severe heart attack. Not only that, but he was experiencing heart attack symptoms for roughly 10 hours before finally going to the hospital, an event that can result in death within minutes. And by God's grace alone, he survived. I immediately flew home and took time off to help care for DJ. At this time, DJ was on a few different medications, including a beta blocker, metaprolol, which I'm told isn't exactly the most sperm friendly, but at this point, us conceiving was the least of our concerns. A few weeks after easing into our new normal, somehow the conversation of us having kids came up. I think DJ having a heart attack kind of made our fertility issues a little more, I guess, real in a different way. So he asked for a reminder on what the doctors had said and about IUI and he ultimately suggested we try it. I figured his heart attack had probably changed his perspective on things, so I called REI, left a message, and went about my day. I assumed next month or next cycle we could probably start this process and see what happens. They called me back the same day, and because I happened to be on day one of my period, things ended up aligning perfectly for us to attempt IUI that same cycle. I picked up another round of letrozole the next day and had my first round of transvaginal ultrasound scheduled. I seemed to respond well to the medication again. I also experienced my first trigger shot, which I ended up having to give myself in my car in a parking lot on base. Hands shaking so much. 
the next day, we completed our first round of IUI. We didn't have any issues. I had some light cramping directly after, and that was it. We went home, we prayed and relaxed, and the two-week wait began. When it came down to test day, I had already taken an at-home test, and now on retrospect, realized I had a serious case of the line eyes. If you've ever held a pregnancy test up to the light and stared at it through squinting eyes and convincing yourself there's a faint line, you know exactly what that is. I convinced myself there was the faintest line, but at least waited for blood work before getting excited this time, which good thing I did because it was negative. We scheduled our second round of IUI. I got my period picked up and started letrozole again. During scheduling, we realized there was going to be a long holiday weekend that was going to occur in the middle of my natural ovulation window. I asked if we could do the IUI on the Friday before the long weekend and found out the clinic would be closed Friday through Monday. So needless to say, I was a bit nervous we would miss my ovulation window. And that is exactly what happened. I think I got the positive OPK on the Friday, and we were scheduled for Tuesday. So, timed intercourse it was. And so came another negative pregnancy test. The day our negative results came back, we weren't shocked by any means, but I remember just trying to keep a brave face during a conversation with DJ about it and ended up getting emotional. It was like, When you're trying to hold back tears and one person asks if you're okay and the floodgates burst open, he had been and still is so calm through this entire journey. He had put everything in God's hands way before I ever did, which gave him a peace that I just did not have, which, if I'm being honest, frustrated me. Not his trust and belief in God, but his like, relaxed perspective and peace about the whole thing. I just could not bring myself to anything close to being calm and peaceful about this. Like, hello, did he not realize the magnitude of all this? Did he not feel the pressure of not being able to conceive yet? Because I definitely did. Then he told me he wasn't actually sure if us having children was in God's plans for us. And suddenly there it was. The question I had quietly asked myself too many times to count. What if we aren't meant to have kids? It sunk in a little differently, a little more deeply to hear DJ say it, even though I had said it to myself before. At that moment, it became more than me allowing fear to speak. It became a very real possible outcome. That night, I remember I quietly went to bed before DJ and closed the door behind me. I got into our bed and silently cried and asked God to take the desire of motherhood from me. I remember I got so angry during this and asked, why would I even feel this desire if he wasn't going to fulfill it? Why was I made to want this if it was something I was not meant to have? I pleaded for it to be taken if it wasn't in his plans for us. I cried so hard, I remember my head started hurting. And like most know, there is nothing like that night's sleep after an intense cry. So I almost immediately knocked out. 
The next morning, I went to grab my Bible and noticed a single page folded. This is only important because I don't fold pages in my Bible, or any books for that matter. Don't know why, just don't like it. I will put all those posty notes and bookmarks in there, but no pages will be folded by me. And this page was the only page folded, and it wasn't a small crease or a tip of the corner folded. It was a full-on deliberate fold on that thing. So I opened it up, and it was one Samuel, the story of Hannah. Hannah was a woman who struggled with infertility, beseeched God for a child in prayer, and she conceived. I had read this before. I knew the story even had a post-it note on the page, had referenced this in prayer. But in that moment, it was like I was reading it and internalizing it for the very first time. And I felt all the tension in my heart melt away. The sweetest response to my request, to my absolute outburst the night before. Just a sweet, quiet, simple reminder of my circumstances not being new. Not only that, but not being a problem that God can't solve. After this, my focus shifted. I didn't want an answer to our conception. I wanted an answer to my health. I wanted to know how to better care for and heal my and DJ's bodies. Then, before yet another work trip, I had a saline sonogram, where some kind of growth was observed. But because it's a sonogram, they can tell something is there, but not what it is. I then spent a month away and about two weeks ago had a hysteroscopy. The observed growth? A teeny tiny three millimeter polyp. They were able to remove it with no issues. No other polyps or fibroids or anything else was observed. No heart-shaped uterus or anything else of note. Which brings us to now. I incorporated castor oil packs, lots of rest, and extra pup cuddles into my healing regimen just in time to enjoy Christmas and New Year's with family and friends. Now I wait for my next period to arrive. Hopefully any day now. So that is where I'm at. I continue figuring out ways to best support my body as a whole and sharing all that I've learned thus far with anyone who will listen, which now includes you. This journey has taught me a lot including how little we are taught about things like hormones and reproductive organ functions. It still baffles me that I didn't learn most of the things I now know until reaching my 30s. And I still don't know how our story will end up. Will it be like Hannah's in 1 Samuel, or will it just be us in a pack of pups? The Lord knows I would love to see DJ as a dad. But for now, we're okay with our little life and being the cool aunt and uncle. We'll continue to put our faith in God, knowing that ultimately his plan and timing are perfect. Well, that is all I have for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my story. If you'd like to reach out, you can contact me via email at yetmothers at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at yetmothers. Until next time, be safe, be good. Bye.